Unplug It is a podcast talking all things St Kilda and brought to you by the wonderful crew at Marbled Meats in East Bentley. You can find them at 291 Chesterfield Road, Bentley East. And a reminder that you can order online with our promo code PLUGGER for 10% off your order and free delivery on any order over 80 bucks. Now enjoy our latest episode. Welcome to another edition of Unplugged. You can see by the purple, obviously, we're building up to Maddie's match against the Tigers at Marvel Stadium. We've got news of at least one more opponent. We'll play Geelong in round six on a Thursday night before they go off and go to Perth and join the hub. That means we won't have to do that, at least now. We might have to do that later on. But, of course, it is a changing situation in Victoria. There's all sorts of speculations as, as to what might happen. We'll be joined a bit later on by one of our favourite sons, a man who uh, spent 17 years, 18 years actually, at the St Kilda Football Club before being involved there as a, an administrative role, an assistant coaching role. I speak of Nathan Burke, former co-captain and three-time best and fairest winner. But first thing we're going to do is reflect on the disappointment of last week, a 44-point loss to Collingwood. And the writing was on the wall pretty early, 5-7-37 to 12-9-81. Uh, Darren Parkin is my name. We're here for... Marbled Meats, as we are each and every single week. Aaron McGrath and Nick Splitter also with me. And Nick, uh, starting off with you, uh, first goal of the game, but alarm bells everywhere about 10 minutes after that. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't long after that. Uh, yeah, I think they kicked two quick ones, uh, Stevenson, I think it was. And uh, yeah, look, their pressure all around the ground was unplayable for us. We we found it really difficult to get our hands on the ball, and once we did, we couldn't do anything with it. They uh, they just strangled us. And and the things that we did really well against the Bulldogs in terms of you know limiting their use of of ball and, and keeping them out of their forward half, they did to us even better. Um, and we just didn't have the run and carry and the spread that that we had in in round two against the Dogs. And you know it was it was really difficult to watch. But uh, I think sometimes we we can forget just how good Collingwood are at the moment. And, and they're a bloody good team all over the, the park. That They're not kind of the traditional structured, you know, full back, centre-half back, centre-half forwards, full forward kind of big guys that, that we're used to. But um, their quality in, in every in every line and, and they were just way too good for us. Yeah, basically I'm looking through it and going six and a half minutes into the second quarter. We're eight points behind after Butler kicks his second and 15 minutes later we're 38 points down. So it, it turned very quickly. Um, Gay got on a roll and that was it. It's pretty much that end of the game right there. We're uh, sitting there thinking, no, nah, we're not going to come back from here. This is this. They're just playing too good. It was complete difference from what they played against Richmond. So obviously Richmond, I don't know what's going on with them now. That's That's really got me thinking. I'm not sure if they are no good or what's going on, but Collingwood just did Collingwood and they just turned up and shoved us aside and yeah, put us to the sword and that was it. Yeah. The worry is, um, and look, I agree Collingwood at the moment looking like the, perhaps the best team in it. Uh, we know Richmond can't be discounted and we'll find out this week. It's probably unfortunate that they got belted last week. So there's been a bit of, um, exposure on them, but we'll, we'll find out what does happen. I mean, Marvel Stadium clearly suits us, I think, a little bit more than the G does, and it suits Richmond a little bit less than the, the G does. But, um, yeah, Collingwood were just their, their pressure early. I mean, even our pressure indicators are too good. I think halfway through the first quarter, it was 14 tackles to two their way, and they had the ball most of the time as, as well. But, yeah, we we're, were winning it off half back, handballing a couple of times under pressure, and then kicking straight back to either Jeremy Howe or Maynard or Noble or, or one of those sorts of guys. 
I had a fear, I had a worry that we might have picked a team that was a fraction too tall. Uh, it turns out that might have been the case. The, the Jonathan Marsh selection didn't necessarily work as, as hard as he did work. And he was better after halftime and wasn't our worst player by any means. But yeah, just and, and there were just too many mistakes where our players either got the jitters or just did things that you shouldn't you shouldn't expect an AFL player to do. Jack Billings, rather than just absorbing a tackle and getting knocked over the boundary line, handballing it back into play straight to the goey. The fumble that led to Stevenson's second goal. Uh, Dan Hanabry just not able to get a hand to a ball that was floating over his head that led to another one. So, yeah, that, I sort of saw this fortnight as an examination for us where we could play Collingwood and Richmond and get a good test. And unfortunately, we failed the first test and at least we get another one this week. But, yeah, that, it was frustrating because, um, yeah, as good as Collingwood are, we, we should have certainly been a little bit better than that. There's a couple of spurts where we're like actually played very good football, but it, it's just far outweighed by the bad stuff. I mean, yeah. we were absolutely pinpointing kicks to our players for, I don't know, two, three minutes at a time there. Mm-hmm. And then for 10 minutes, we pinpointed it straight to their backman. It was, yeah, so I just need to get, just expand on that time that we're playing good football, getting longer time periods and then turning into a good quarter, turning into a good half. But yeah, it just did not happen on the weekend. Yeah, you're right. I think there, there were patches where we played some good footy, but like you said, it just wasn't for long enough. And, and one of the things that, that concerned me a little bit and goes back to round one all, all those weeks ago against the Kangaroos is when things turned, we didn't seem to have the ability to, to kind of wrestle it back. Mm. Um, you know, in round one, the Kangas got, got a bit of a run on and, uh, and we, had, we didn't seem to have a plan B. And it, it seemed a little bit the same against the Pies in, in that second and third quarter. When, when they kicked a couple in a row, we didn't seem to have an avenue, something to, to, to turn to or, or something to change that might have the option of, or the opportunity of, of changing our fortunes. And like you said, we, we had some, some good moments, but few and far between really. And, and against a side like Collingwood, you can't afford to give them that many opportunities like we did in giving them the ball. Max King, a couple of uh, couple of nice things. A, a good mark he took in the second quarter and then drilled a goal from 50, 55 metres out. Butler played very well, but there was that one that I really liked at the start of the third quarter where he sort of picked it up at his toes and accelerated away and really good agility to hit up steel inside 50. So he was handy. And, and Ben Patton's had a, a pretty unheralded start to the year. So thought he was okay. Might, might as well segue into our votes off the, uh, off the back of that. Um, Nick, did you want to go first with your free two and one? It's harder pickings. Last week we probably had twelve guys we had to try to give the free two and one to. This week we might have four that we're trying to get votes to. Uh, the obvious one was was Dan Butler. The three votes. It's uh, a lot harder after that. Um, yeah, I, I kind of I went Gresham two votes just because of his ability to win the ball, and every time he got the ball, he looked to do something with it. It didn't come off a lot of the time. And, and it was once he had the ball in his hands, it was probably one of his worst games disposal wise. Um, but he always looked to try and make something happen, which, which I thought was impressive when we were under the pressure that we were under. Uh, and, and Ben Patton, like you said, number one, uh, one vote, he, very unheralded. He, he's kind of, he, he lives under the radar. Um, he, he does a role and, and he doesn't get much of the limelight, but uh, I thought he's been solid. Um, and I'm pretty pretty similar. Obviously, Butler's got to be best on. Again, another great game that just didn't have enough players helping him along the way. Um, so again, as you say, in Gresham, he put in, he tried what he could. He didn't have a lot of help as well. He, he got the ball out enough, but his, the problem is he's kicking over the shoulder and they are kicking, well, they're getting into position to take it off us on top of our 50 once he did clear it. So there's yeah, there's a little bit of problem there, um, and he wasn't didn't stand out a lot. But when he did get the ball, and when he didn't have the ball, his pressure was good. But Ben Long, he, I think he was better than what his numbers would tell you. I mean, you look at his numbers and you'll see he didn't do much. But I think he was actually better than what you can see numbers alone. Just his pressure off the ball. You saw him a couple of times out the back and he was doing things that were actually helping us. But yeah, once again, someone else who didn't have a lot of help doing the same thing. Yeah. I went three votes. Dan Butler, who was our most influential player. I gave two votes to 
Jake Carlisle, 21 possessions and nine marks. So he got better as it went along and, and held up Collingwood a bit uh, without an obvious matchup. I thought he was okay and, and one vote to uh, to Ben Patton, who was really solid. Gresham, unlucky. A um, lot of clearances. Uh, clearly our, our best clearance player. Just a little bit on that disposal. It's probably one where he'll get more votes than Patton, but it's almost a case of, I guess, Patton perhaps playing at a level um, over the course of the three weeks certainly deserves that that recognition. But apart from, say, Gresham being unlucky and, and maybe a long or, or even a Caulfield, who I thought got a bit better after half time, there's not a lot of players really to uh, to, to celebrate, unfortunately. Um, yeah, it, it's just one where even in the ruck combination, Marshall lo- lowered his colours significantly. And I guess we've got to ask the question at the moment whether... As much as it worked against the Bulldogs because Ryder was terrific, whether we've just squeezed a little bit out of Marshall as he adjusts, where we've lost a little bit from him uh, over the last uh, over the last couple of weeks as we adjust to this uh, right combination. But um, yeah, it, it's certainly a lot to to look at. That's for sure. Uh, we are here, as we said, thanks to Marbled Meats in East Bentley. You can check out uh, everything uh, they're doing online at marbledmeats.com.au. They're at 291 Chesterfield Road in Bentley East. And of course, there is a promo running through Unplugged. So if you can order online with the promo code PLUGGER, you'll get 10% off your order and free delivery on any order over 80 bucks. Uh, and that's to a ton of locations they deliver around Melbourne, including uh, H's Mornington Peninsula. So uh, you can stock up on your meat supply at marbledmeats.com.au. Remember that promo code PLUGGER. 10% off and free delivery. Our special guest played 323 games and won three best and fairest with the Saints. Thirteen seconds left for the Saints if they want another goal before the siren. Everett! No mark, play on. Burke, he's got it. Nathan Burke in the nick of time. The siren sounded for three-quarter time. And they needed that answering goal, didn't they? St Kilda, because the morale... Well, we have been lucky over recent weeks to catch up with some of the other great names in the, the club's history. A lot from a, a similar era. The, the, the leadership around the time of the 97 Grand Final with Robert Harvey and, and Stuart Lowe and obviously a very young Aussie Jones. So I've had Aaron Hamill and, and Lenny Hayes and... We are joined now by one of the co-captains in the, the 97 Grand Final, a three-time Best and Fairest winner and uh, one-time Games record holder at the, the club in, in Nathan Burke. And, and Berkey, thanks for uh, for jumping on with us. Obviously doing terrific work now coaching the Western Bulldogs AFLW team. And ironically, your first game was back at Moorabbin, but uh, nice to have you with us. Yeah, evening, boys. Uh, g'day, everyone. Great to be with you. And uh... Yeah, it was a uh, it was a great day that one. I was glad glad to be part of the Saints' first AFLW foray, first game, uh, even if it was in the uh, red, white, blue rather than the red, white, black. Spoiled the party as well. But um, just keen going back to your, your journey. I guess when people think of you, either as St Kilda supporters or otherwise, they probably remember the the, the helmet and and obviously being the, the nuggety little number three. But but I'm curious to start not necessarily on a, a negative, but that journey through to wearing the helmet. I mean, the 91 elimination final was one mm-hmm. early one where you ran into Gary Ablett in a, I guess, a polite mm-hmm. way of saying that. And I know my dad's adamant that that cost and killed to that particular final, a, a warm day, only a couple on the bench, losing you who were playing on uh, on Gary Hocking. But can you take us through, I guess, the, the series of events and the challenges that you uh, you faced along the way that led to you donning the helmet? Yeah, certainly. Um... Through that early stage of, of my career, I, I had a, a problem where if I got a, a, a semi-forceful knock, I, I get what they diagnosed as a form of migraine, which was in about five minutes or so, I'd get the blurred vision where I couldn't see. And then after the game, I'd get the nausea and the headaches and, and be pretty crook after the game. And naturally, when you can't see, it's footy field's not a great place to be. So I, I, I was coming off too often. And it was Kenny Sheldon, actually, the coach, who just sort of said, mate, we don't know whether we can keep playing you if you're going to come off all the time because those days we only had a couple on the bench and uh, that's that's a big loss. So naturally, the only thing to think of is, okay, how can I fix this? You either keep your head out of the way or um, you don the helmet, see how that works. So reluctantly, it was a, a case of try this or don't play 
And uh, obviously, when you're faced with those sort of choices, it's it's quite easy decision to make that uh, put the helmet on. And um, so, a- anecdotally, all I can tell you is that I had the issue less and less wearing the helmet than when I wasn't wearing the helmet. Um, as we know now, it's not really a. It's the, the migraine is the, the the symptoms of the concussion, the form of concussion that I was getting. But at the time. It worked in my favour because they weren't diagnosing it as concussion because then it would have been, okay, you might have to miss a week or you might have to miss two weeks. It was a migraine. Once you get over that, well, great, just roll you back out next week. And at the time, I was more, more than happy with that, but we're a lot wiser around those things now and probably would have missed quite a few games. But um, that was the reason why. I still had the problem through hits in the chin or, or the nose. I got, got one or two of those. Um, but it, it certainly occurred less and less once I was wearing the helmet. Um, still happens sometimes, and depending on the state of the game, I'd, I'd come off. I, I, I always end up with a small field of vision. So if I didn't want to come off, I'd, I'd just sort of eye an opposition player and tag them for a period of time because I could see where they were going. And, and sometimes the coach would say, why the hell were you tagging that bloke? It was mainly because I'd... I couldn't see anywhere else and didn't want to come off. Uh, but they were the sort of stupid things we used to do in those days. So one that comes to mind of that sort of situation actually is the 96 pre-season grand final. I remember you do kick the first goal at a game and not long later on, you're sort of off the field and never really returned. Um, is that, that basically what happened? Yeah. Um, that, that was almost, it was a highlight and a low light in one because uh, I actually, I don't remember a lot of the times when it happened, but I remember this one. Uh, Craig Devonport was actually playing for Carlton then and the ball got kicked out of our back line and I jumped up in the air and Craig for some unknown reason sort of ran underneath me and for the first time ever in my life I got a bit of a ride it was a bit of a specky up there and uh, I, I think I got a bit stunned the ball hit my hands and it fell down in front of me I sort of landed on my feet grabbed the footy and the Carlton player came running through I think it might have been Ian Aitken or, or someone that came through and, and cleaned me up. And that it was, was Earl Sporting. Yeah, Earl Sporting came through, um, cleaned me up, and uh, that was it for me for the rest of the game. But, um, yeah, so it was my closest chance ever of taking a specky. But then with a half a second, I was off the ground. So a whole light and a low light all rolled into one. Berkey, heading back to the, uh, the start of your career, you were drafted, uh, you came to the club when you were 17, just over 17, you made your debut. Um, what was it like walking into, into a club that had guys like Tony Lockett, Danny Frawley, who were already established, but a little bloke from the Pines walking into that club and, and you've got you know, Stewie Lowe and a freakish Nicky Wimar and you know, these sort of blokes. Did, could, you, could you tell that some of these guys were destined for greatness uh, even back yeah, then? Yeah, absolutely. I played a... A year in the under 19s uh, in was '86, and uh, Lowy started off that year in the he did the preseason in, in the uh, 19s, and then Plugger landed on a, uh, a sprinkler and cut his knee open, and uh, that was sort of the fast track of Lowy off. So I didn't really get to play with him in that year. Um, I played all of that year. I broke my ankle playing basketball towards the end of that year. And I did the did a whole pre-season with the under-19s. And we used to train after them and you'd see the guys and every now and again they'd come over to the under-19s rooms and do weights and do boxing and that sort of stuff. So you, you saw them from afar and they, they, they you know, these, these big, huge champion men that were playing the game. And Rene Kink was there at the time and he used to get on the boxing bag and punch crap out of that. It was quite scary to watch. And... Um, so I did the whole pre-season with the under-19s and actually played the first two games that year with the under-19s. And then, um, you know, the, the big thrill was to get a call up to the reserves and um, got a call up to the reserves and played four games there. And then Daryl Bordock called myself and my father into the office and said, hey, we're thinking about giving you a game. And uh, my dad was a bit bit unsure because I was a 70-kilogram little 17-year-old and only ever played four games against men. But I said, mate, who are you to go against the great Del Baldock? If Del Baldock thinks I'm good enough to play, well, uh, you just take a back seat, old, old fella. And uh, that was it. So it was a pretty quick rise. I didn't get to actually spend a lot of time with these guys, but 
you know, my first training night with the seniors, and you've got Joffa Cunningham and Greg Burns and and Trevor Barker. They were the they were the sort of the, the heroes at the time, and to run around with Joffa and Burnsy and Barks, that were that was um, really something special. Whereas the other guys, Nicky's in his first year, and Plugger, '87 was the year he won the grand, he won the Brownlow, so he just sort of started to take off, but. It was it was those old guys that were uh, just amazing to me, and it really set the tone for how how do you integrate a young fella into the team? It was Marks and Joffre and Burnsy uh, in particular that did a, did a great job of that. So um, you spoke about that year in '86 when you were playing under 19s. The senior team only won two games that year, but then '87 in your first year they won nine, including five in a row. And you, you spoke about. Plugger, and we had a club legend coaching us in in Doc. Robert Harvey would arrive the following. Year. Could you tell straight away, uh, obviously you came to a club that had won four wooden spoons in a row, but could you tell that within a few years we were going to be all right? Because ultimately we were with a, with a finals appearance in 91 under, uh, under Kenny Sheldon, even though sort of 89 and 90 had started well, but faded out a bit in the back half. Yeah, well, when you've got a guy like a plugger up front and you've got Danny down back and um, you know, you've got Nicky Wimmar in the team and uh, there's quite a few younger ones coming through at the time. I, I think that there was the nucleus of, of something better. And I, I got to hand a lot of credit to, to Kenny Sheldon uh, and his crew who came to the club. And a, a, a lot of that Carlton crew that came along with him that really just sort of added, um, you know, they, they'd been part of success and they knew what success took. Whereas previous to that, you know, Doc you know, loved the man, but he, he come from training horses down in Tasmania back into the fold of, of you know, professional football at the time. Um, but these guys took that to another level. And I think that was probably the catalyst of, of us making the finals in that 91-92 was that uh, you know, they, they said, you know, the way, the way that we're doing things, uh, with the level of talent we've got, it's probably going to end us middle of the road. But if we add the professionalism to it, well, then, you know, who knows where that can take us. And as you saw, a couple, couple of years in the finals. But uh, unfortunately, as we do at the Saints, we, we don't have a lot of... Um, uh, we, we don't persist a lot. As soon as we have a bit of a dip, then that's it. Coach is gone. And that happened every coach that, that I had. And poor old Kenny was on the end of that. Yeah, so he took us to two seasons, two final series in a row, yep. went 10-10 the next season, and but then we're showing the door. It, it's not the worst record you'll ever see of a coach being kicked out. Um, yeah. Do you think it was just a completely different looking to go somewhere uh, somewhere else, a different direction, or is it maybe a little bit more to it or anything? Yeah, it's, um, we've always had the, the concept of you know, icing on the cake. We need, need someone to just put the icing on the cake. You know, um, Stouts gets to the, the grand final, not so good the year after. Okay, we need someone to put the icing on the cake. And when he's gone, well, then Blighty will do it and then someone else will do it. And um, we, we just haven't persisted. Whereas you look at other clubs, you know, look at Collingwood now, um, I guarantee you if Nathan Buckley had been coaching St Kilda, there's no way he'd be still coaching now. Uh, we would have made that call. Um, you know, Luke Beveridge even wins a grand final doesn't make the finals for another two, three years, or well, I don't think we would have put up with that. We would have got rid of it. So um, coaches like players. They have, you know, they, they learn and they get better. And sometimes not, not every year is exponentially better than the last year. And uh, we just haven't really put up with that. And I think that's probably been to the detriment of our club along the way because we have had some, some really good men who have been good coaches. We referred to it uh, a little earlier that that 1991 team was the best team we've had for for a long time first final series since 73 i think um that was a lot of people would say that that we were the best team in the league um heading into into the finals and um probably some dodgy fixturing decisions by the by the afl uh maybe put a, a stop to that season uh, along with a few other reasons but um like Parker said, he got a, a bit of a hit in the in the elimination final against the Cats. Do you remember much about that game? Because that is is one of the greatest games ever played of, of, of AFL football. Yeah. Um, I remember how the hit happened. I went into Shepard, one of my teammates, and uh, Gaz was coming the other way. And 
my head and his elbow collided. Uh, I think he ended up with two weeks for that one. But um, <laughs> it's funny what you do remember. David Grant actually got cleaned up as, as well. And uh, both Grandy and I were sitting on the bench. And as it turned out, we both had blurred vision and couldn't see. So we were both sitting there just staring out blankly. And we, we'd hear a roar up either end because Plugger was kicking a bag at one end and Billy Brownless was kicking up a bag at the other end. And we'd hear the roar and have to turn around and say, was that us? Was that them? Was that us? Was that them? And unfortunately, what was happening also was the... The, we were getting messages coming back from the players on the field that we had quite a few other players that, given a normal game, they would have come off. They were injured. But because poor old Grandy and I were sitting there unable to go back on, um, they had to stay on. I think we ended up with Paul Harding playing fullback at one stage and um, some other players that weren't quite right had to stay on the ground. So that that's probably what I remember out of that game. And I also remember the fact that we what, finished third on the ladder and the year after that, they gave third on the ladder a double chance. Um, but I think when you look at the teams that, that were in that year, Geelong and West Coast, we had a, had a, got through that one. Well, then I definitely think talent-wise, we, we were a chance to, to go pretty far. Yeah, if we win that elimination final, we then get a double chance, uh, a second semi, two chances to make a grand final. But I think the thing that frustrate Saints fans a lot was that the other uh, two best players on the ground for Geelong were uh, Billy Brownless and Gary Hocking and I think you were playing on Hocking and David Grant was playing on Billy Brownless which was uh, obviously frustrating given the other the way that unfolded but um, the, the next period where we had a little bit of success was through that obviously winning the pre-season in 96 and then into the grand final in 97 you graduated from a good young player to a dual best and fairest winner and, and co-captain can you Take us through, I guess, a leader's perspective of, of the rise in, in 97 and, and how you all turned it around and yeah. and even, I guess, your memories of, of the build-up to what ultimately would have been a, a frustrating day. Yeah. It, it probably started at the end of 95. <clears throat> Obviously, Plugger left, um, which was a you know, big blow for everybody. Danny Frawley re- retires and we had another couple of senior players that had moved on to other places. Um, the football world in general probably thought, well, there, there's the end of the Saints for five, six years. You know, we we're talking rebuild for Plugger going. We we end up with four 17-year-olds in Aussie Jones, Joel Smith, Tony Brown, Matty Lappin. So you get four 17-year-olds. People don't think, okay, well, they're going to zoom you up the ladder. Um, we didn't have a single player good enough to step into Danny's shoes. As, as a leader. So basically Stuart and I became co-captains. He had his strengths and I had my strengths and hopefully together we made a, a decent captain. Um, we knew straight away that well, a couple of the old senior players, we got together and, and we said, look, if we're in the wilderness rebuilding for five years, we're 26, 27 now, that's probably going to see out our career. Um, we're going to have no success. So how do we fast track this? We can't fast track it through the draft because you only get one chance a year to do that. So the way that we fast tracked it was 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 through the culture, basically. Cottoned onto the theory that um, you, know, you have the culture whether you like it or not. And quite often it evolves by default. So the, the loudest people, they, they tend, tend to determine how we do things around here and uh, with the Saints, it's always a bit of, oh, well, that's how we've always done things. So don't rock the boat. That doesn't work. So we, we set, out, set out on a, a path of, of, of culture change. And how we did that was you know, with, with our leadership. So we had two leaders and we had a leadership group for the first time ever. We had emerging leaders and young leaders. So if guys wanted to work their way out to become captain, there was a, a pathway they could follow. And we taught them some leadership skills. We had to redesign who our, how our heroes were. Prior to that, our hero was Tony Lockett. Now, Tony was, you know, to say he wasn't a great trainer is probably, probably an understatement. He got by on natural talent. And uh, so if you had immense natural talent and you can go out and display it, well, then we'd probably put you up on the, on the pedestal. Fortunately, we had guys like Harves and Stuart Lowe who just trained incredibly hard. So... We had to redesign our heroes and tell these young guys, hey, if you want to be good, 
You've got to be like Harps. You've got to be like Lowy. You've got to get into training by yourself and jump on the exercise bike. And we always knew when they were in early because there's a pool of sweat under the bike. So they were doing extras. So they were the players we had to make heroes of. We had to change the way that we communicated in that we were very good at um, sort of hiding behind humour a lot of ways. The old, if somebody turns up late, we more likely say, hey, did you bring the paper with you? Rather than saying, hey, you're late and I, 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 that's, that's not how we do things around here, get here on time. By, by saying, did you bring the paper with you? It's almost like, I want you to know that I know that you're late, but I don't want to address it with you straight away. So I'll, I'll sort of couch it in the way that you'll get, get the idea. We had to get rid of that sort of talking and, and open and honest and direct feedback, all that sort of stuff. And by that culture change process, um, hopefully the way that we did things at the club was more likely to bring about the success that we wanted. It doesn't guarantee it, but it increases the, the likelihood. And uh, so at the end of 95, we were 14th out of 16 teams. At the end of 96, we were 10th out of 16 teams, so one year into the process. Two years into the process, into home and away, we're on top of the ladder. And that's not through getting high-priced recruits or anything like that. It's purely through that culture change process. And Stan Elton was part of that by giving the players a lot of ownership, a lot of say. We could pick you know, who we wanted in the team and training drills and all that sort of stuff. So I think it was, it was more of a, a process that led to that success rather than then, you know, like, oh, suddenly we're, we're a good team and oh, let's ride this for as long as we can. It was a, it was a two-year process working up to that point. So in comparing the two, the 91, 92 and the 97, 98 sort of teams, yeah. going by what you're saying there, it's the 91, 92 is probably more just pure natural ability. The 97, 98 has moulded a team that has been able yeah. to come out on top there. But so... Yeah, yeah 91, 92 was, uh, yeah, we, we brought in some, some talent, you know, Russell Morris and uh, all the... All the Carlton guys that we bought in. So we actually bought in talent more so than developed it. Um, the other thing Kenny Sheldon did really well, Kenny was a master at getting the team united, playing together, all wanting to be there. You know, let's do this Saints and, and out we go. A bit like reminiscent of the Carlton players in the, you know, the mid-80s that they, they played hard, they trained hard and they, they were really stuck together as a unit. So Kenny got us doing that with the talent that he brought in. That's how we got there. Um, the the 97, 98 team was, was completely different. We, we had a bit of that camaraderie, but it was more of a, a process of actions and behaviours and mindset that uh, just increased the likelihood of us being good. That was the, the difference. Yep. So the second half of, of 97, obviously, we started one and four uh, in 97 and we ended up going on a, on a run, I think nine or ten in a row, leading to the finals. And, and then some things happened. Um, obviously, Lazar Vidovic uh, injured, Spider injured. Uh, and, and the week of the grand final, some personal issues with, with some of the guys, Stewie and, and Nikki, and, and some of those things. As, as one of the captains of the club and, and you know, a senior leader at the club, how did you deal with that week and, and what was it like leading into the game? Yeah, look, it was, um, you know, they, they were unfortunate events leading in. There's, there's no doubt Spider and Laser would have made a huge difference to our team. Um, having said that, Adelaide had some significant outs as well that should have helped us probably more than what they did. Um, but yeah, it would have been great to have those guys there. Um, Nikki and and uh, and Stuart had some issues as well. It's it's hard to sort of closely address them with so much else going on in the grand final. They're both very strong, proud guys who probably didn't. They their main thinking was, I don't want this to affect the team. I don't want it to be a big thing. Um, so they, they wanted to keep it as low-key as they probably could. And we wanted to just focus on, on the game. Um, I did, was it a factor in us winning or losing? Probably not. Um, the, the week leading up to it, people often ask me, would you rather 
not get to a grand final if you're going to lose because it must be extremely disappointing and frustrating and lives with you forever that you didn't win a grand final. Uh, would you rather not get there? And my answer is definitely no. I, I'd much prefer to get to a grand final, have a crack at it. You know, if we won, fantastic. If we weren't, if we didn't win, at the end of the day, it's kind of football. Adelaide were better than us on that one day. It's not going to ruin the rest of my life. Um, but the... The excitement on the St Kilda supporters during that time. You know, I drive around the Bayside area and you see people painting their fence red, white and black. Shop fronts have all got red, white and black streamers on them and Tommy Bench statue's got a jumper on it. And Just the, the excitement that it brought to the St Kilda supporters, you know, why would you take that away from them? You, know, you, you just wouldn't do it. So uh, that, that was a highlight. You know, I don't think I'm going to do anything, anything else in my life that's going to warrant me being driven through the streets of Melbourne in the back of a car, you know, in a grand final parade and people throwing streamers at you. I don't think I'm going to do anything that's going to warrant that ever again. Um, you know, just running out on, on the MCG in front of all those people. Uh, not thinking grand final, that's the stuff I turn my mind back to, not the, not the actual scoreline and what happened. And uh, I think uh, you're, you're a you're, you're a bitter old person if here I am, what, how many years later, 23 or something years later, I'm, I'm ruining that couple of hours in my life. Still 100% concur from a fan's point of view even. I mean, 97, 09 and, and 10, you'd give anything to change the results, but you uh, you yeah. wouldn't take back the fact that you lived through that period and, and how, how exciting it was. But fast forwarding, you'd win a best and fairest again in 99 under Tim Watson and then couple of injuries from, from that point on. When the 2003 came around and you made the decision to uh, to retire, can you take us through that? And was your final game particularly special in the sense that, hey, we won by 14 goals, but you played against the team you barracked for as a kid. Danny Frawley was coaching yep. them. Stuart Lowe was an assistant coach. And Robert Harvey was still alongside you. So it would have made that day pretty special. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um... Yeah, so the, the last couple of years, the last three years were a bit of a struggle. I did my knee in round 10, uh, was that 2001? Missed that year, came back, did my knee again in round three, missed the rest of that year. Um, and so I thought I'll, I'll give it one more crack, see how we go. Managed to play 19 straight, which was a, you know, did I deserve a game every single week? I can't guarantee that I, that I actually did, but I'd be forever grateful for... Grant Thomas for the way that he sort of handled me in, in the twilight of, of my career and you know, gave me a lot of respect, which I, I give him a lot of respect back for. Um, the decision it wasn't that tough for me to, to hang out the birds because it, it sounds funny, but walking into the game each week, so in between where I, I parked my car, Kiss my wife goodbye. She says, good luck, don't get hurt. And I, I walk from that point into the rooms. That used to be the point when I was I'm sort of by myself that it's almost like that, that Christmas morning. Yeah, you, know, you, you get the excitement. It's, it's, it's the buzz. It's the stomach pumped. And you know, when we were at Waverley, it was you know, going around that inner, inner tunnel at Waverley. I'd sort of jog to the rooms and the MCG. And wherever we played, you'd get that buzz and you'd sort of burst into the rooms. Um, I found that at some stage during that last year, 2003, I, I'd lost that. I, I didn't have it. And try as I did to manufacture it, it was, it was false. It wasn't really real. And to me, that was my signal that, you know what, this is, this is probably, probably the time. Because without that buzz, um, you know, are you going, going to be able to do this to the best of your ability and um, should be time to give someone else that spot in the team and um, we, we made the decision to pull, pull up stumps in round 19 uh, it was Grant Thomas's decision actually I mean, it was round 20 I missed the one before that um, <laughs> not many I've never told anyone this but uh, first time in my life the I think I've I finished in round 20. The round 19 game, I pulled out with a sore quad. But that was Grant Thomas's idea because he said, mate, if, because I think we were playing away somewhere around 19. And he said, if you get injured in this round 19, he said, that's going to be it. You're not going to have a last game at home. 
So how about we fake an injury? And we did. And uh, I didn't play that game. First time I've ever told anyone that story. And because uh, knowing that the round 20 game was the last home game, I think we had a game in Tassie after that and a yep. game somewhere else. So that was going to be the last home game. So he said, look, and I, and I said, look, I just want to keep playing because I've only got two, two, three games left. Um, the other thing that went through my mind was that Lowy finished on 321. I would have loved to have finished on 321, same as him. But as it turned out, I wasn't going to miss three games in a row. So uh, we made that, that last home game was the, the last one. So my family and friends got to come along and, and celebrate that. So it was a special occasion. The boys had a big win. Um, and uh, I, don't think Lowy, I don't think Danny was too happy with me. Uh, get the boys up for a big win against his team. But, uh, yeah, that, that's a, a memorable match that I, I honestly don't remember a lot of matches or sort of a great deal about them. But, uh, yeah, that one certainly do. And to finish that match off, you ended up handing over your number three to a young player at the club, um, Xavier yeah. Clark. Is there a, the reason behind you choosing, choosing him or did he come to you and ask, can I take it from you or how, how no, did that no. go down? Um, because the year before, Lowy had given his jumper to Cozzy, so he started a yep. bit of a tradition. So I thought about it, and uh, I I wanted to, because, look, we had Luke Ball and these guys that were going to be really good players, but um, Xavier, for one, is an outstanding young man, um, and I knew that no matter whether Xavier went on to play 200 games for the Saints or 50 games for the Saints, whatever, it would be he'd get the most out of himself. Um, and he's a, he's a really quality young man. And at the time, I thought, you know, the, the number three probably hasn't taken a mark over his head or a contested mark for about 15 years. So it's about time we put a bit of skill into the number three. Somebody who can take a specky and had, had a left foot on him and ran pretty quickly. So it was a bit of a new look, number three. But um, the main thing was... He, he was just a, a quality young man. And when I asked him, I said, mate, you don't have to. If you want to make your own number, please don't feel like you, you have to. And he went away and thought about it. And, uh, yeah, he came back. He was pretty chuffed with it. So, yeah, I still think that was a really good decision. I, uh, I read a stat earlier that over your career, you only played in four winning seasons. Uh, it must have been really difficult to, to stay positive. And, and Stewie Lowe told us a story that uh, I'm not sure people had about uh, a little while ago, that uh, during that that mid kind of '90s period, a few of our players were, were talked about being poached to you know, Frio and Port, and and there was a well publicised story about Frio for him. And yep. um, at one point, he actually very seriously thought about going to Essendon, end up staying. And obviously, loyalty to St Kilda supporters and, and St Kilda Footy Club is a massive thing. Was there a period in Lockerbie that you seriously thought about left and, and had that opportunity? Um, no, never seriously thought about leaving. Uh, did I have the opportunity? Yes. Um, there was offers and things on the table. Um, one way of getting more money in this game is to jump from team to team. You end up getting more than what you're worth when you do. But um, no, it probably comes right back to... Uh, where, where I started with, with the Trevor Barkers and the Greg Burns and the Joffrey Cunninghams. You know, th- those guys didn't have you know, a lot of team success, uh, let, let's be honest. Um, but they had, they, they had the respect of the St Kilda people for what they did for the club. And uh, that always, always rung true. And it was, a, a thing, it, was, it was almost something like, hey, I, I want that too. And the only way to get that is to live that and to knock back those, those offers and things like that. So um, I always knew I'd, I'd get the best of both worlds. If I didn't have football success, well, then, you know what? Hopefully I get some success for hanging around the Saints. If I have both, well, then, you know what? What, what better career could you ask for? As we let you go, Berkey, the, the coaching aspect of it, it's obviously been working a lot in women's football for, for a while uh, are you enjoying that role? Obviously, it was frustrating this year that um, the, the season came to an end prior to a, a finals campaign. And I guess it leaves a bit of a, a sour taste for everyone. But hopefully when it does come back again. But how have you found that? It does look like it's been, you know, a second chapter of your football career that you've yeah. really enjoyed. 
I, I've absolutely loved it. Um, I worked with the Saints girls for, for two years in the VFL and uh, then decided to, to make the, the leap into AFL land. But I, I love it for a lot of reasons. The, the girls are just wonderful to work with. Um, there's a whole bunch of different challenges in working with the men, but they're challenges that I really love. You've got to be really relationship-based. Um, but also, in a lot of ways, it's, it's probably closer to the football that I enjoyed playing through the 90s. It's not over-contrived um, like some of the men's games. Yeah, don't get me wrong, I still enjoy watching the men's games. Um, but I think they are a, a little bit too formulaic. Uh, when a player picks up the footy, you can you know what they're going to do with the football before they actually do it. Okay, they're going to go backwards, they're going to go sideways, they're going to handball here. So you, it's very formulaic. With the girls, it's it's they don't have the, the skills to be able to do that. So it's it's far closer to the football that I enjoyed playing. It's you know you've got to win the hard footy, uh, you've got to use it well. Get forward, you know, bank forward if you need to. But um, yeah, I, I like the style of football. I love working with the girls. It's never a dull moment. And um, yeah, it's and as you said, it sort of breathes a, a, a whole new lease of life into me and football as well. And uh, the Seth Corny, but the reason why I do it is that uh, I, I firmly believe that if you if you're not making someone else's life better, well then you're you're wasting your own. And I just happen to have the football as the ability, as the, the sort of the, the, the avenue to make someone's life better. So hopefully these girls, when they come from the Bulldogs, they either leave as champion footballers or they leave the, they're better people and they've loved every minute of actually being there. So uh, I'm just thankful that I get that vehicle to, to do something like that. Well, Berkey, you're... Uh... During your time at the Saints, there were a lot of ups and downs, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, but you were, the, I think, the one constant through all of that as the Mr. Reliable for the, the club during that period that we could always bank on. And, and thanks for, for giving us so much of your time uh, this evening and good luck when uh, when football does resume for the, uh, for the AFLW girls. No worries, guys. Thanks very much for the chance to reminisce and uh, yeah, good luck, Saints, this week. I, I must admit, when the Saints played the Bulldogs last week, I had... A foot in each camp, and uh, I must must admit I was I was pretty happy it went went the way that it did. So uh, yeah, I'll be I'm they're loving it. My girls love it. So uh, yeah, we're we're still still sainters at heart. Secret safe with us. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, a week's a long time in footy, and uh, we um, yeah today it wasn't uh, to be. A lot of the things that we brought last week wasn't. There wasn't too much to um, you know, mirror what we did last week. I thought we weren't as great in the contest. Um, our ball use, we overused the footy and um, that didn't allow us to connect with our forwards. But um, yeah, really around the contest, Collingwood were too good and too clean for us and um, probably exposed us the other way a little bit too. So um, it's something that we're pretty disappointed about. I think you know, we had some players down today and probably carried too many players. Um, so we really didn't have the, you know, the full list contributing for the day, which we had last week. So um, a real downer. Um, I think we'll learn a fair bit from it, um, especially some of those young defenders will learn a fair bit. But, um, yeah, we need to get back and, and really do some work on the track around that contest. We were, you know, we got exposed a fair bit there and um, that's something that we can focus on. Next up for the Saints, it is Maddie's match, another twilight fixture on the Saturday, so second in a row. Of those, of this tough double against, the, I guess, the two best Victorian teams and arguably the two premiership favourites, uh, you can check out uh, Matty Rewald's vision at mrv.org.au. You would have seen in the uh, Nathan Burke video the, the purple uh, around the traps as well. And uh, you can still purchase all that merchandise without fans at the game. Uh, it is a little bit different this year, but head to saints.com.au. You can buy a lot of the purple stuff there as well. Uh, the Tigers, boys, uh, they were... Scratchy in round one before the lockdown. Came out of it scratchy against Collingwood and then were terrible last week against Hawthorne. Um, if they produced the type of form they produced last week, I'd say we'd probably win. But whether they, uh, they do remains to be seen. Um, the thing working in our favour is that they're really struggling to score. So they kicked five goals, six against Collingwood and five goals, nine against Hawthorne. 
Uh, Jack Rewalt's out of form. All of their small forwards are out of form. Dan Rioli, uh, Sydney Stack, Shai Bolton also out of form. Even Marley and Pickett out of form as well. So we've just got to find a way to keep them down. Geary would be handy. We've got matchups for, for Jack. But yeah, at the moment, Richmond's biggest Achilles heel is that they can't score. So um, if we could just keep on top of that, then we're every chance. Absolutely. Um, if just you just can't read them at the moment. It, it, it's coming out of uh, last year's premiers. You're sort of thinking, okay, maybe they have had a little bit of a slow start. They're the last to start training again, and that sort of thing. But everyone's come back to an even keel with everyone starting exactly the same time again, and they just have they just have not started. It's a little bit strange. It's I don't know whether they're the sort of team that's momentum something they need the just impossible to read at the moment. Um, I, I, I have no idea what's going to happen this week, to be honest. It's, it's a we'll wicked idea. Andy player back there. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Maybe we could see a repeat of 2017, which would be nice. <laughs> it's, it's a strange one. I mean, last week really is the outlier for, for Richmond. Round one and round two. And round two was a, a, a semi-round one again. And, and we all know how, how scratchy and how rusty teams are in, in round one. We know the skills are, are lacking. We know there's a whole, uh, there's a whole um, lot of things that, that don't go right in round one in terms of team cohesion and, and running patterns and all those sort of things that, that after so much time away just, just aren't there in, in those first weeks back. But last week was, was concerning for Richmond, I think, uh, whereas the, the round one and, and round two perhaps not so much. Um, and I guess the question is, is now are Richmond still any good this year? Um, I, I probably think they are. Um, I think it was, like I said before, an, an outlier. And Richmond are. We know how good they can be. It's just whether they still are in 2020 and whether they can get back to that. Uh, like you said, they've got a pretty good in this week with with Dustin Martin coming back. He's uh, he's not a bad player. He knows how to play footy, and um, you know, it's something that, that we're going to have to have to prepare for really carefully. Uh, but you know, like you said, if we can if we can keep them to a low score again, and we know that our defense is 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 pretty good when when they're on form, and we have, we have a lot of different options for for matchups, and and we're pretty flexible in that regard. So that's something that we can do. Um, whether or not we can get on top of their midfield uh, is going to be the the biggest thing for us because you know when, when our midfield is fit and firing, we're pretty hard to beat. Um, but you know, the same is can be said for them. Yeah, Dusty's spending a lot of time, even when he has played, out of the centre bounces, sort of playing forward-ish. So if he's in the middle, you'd think Jack Steele goes to him if he goes forward, whether it's Geary or somebody like that that's got the one-on-one strength or even a Cal Wilkie potentially that might not get monstered in, in one-on-ones. Um, and, yeah, just trying to get those midfield matchups right, knowing that Richmond will probably either play Nankervis or just Soldo in the ruck, whether we go with one ruckman like Marshall or still play two, which isn't always going to work. Um, we generally play okay against Richmond. They're clearly the um, the stronger of the two sides, but it's just whether we've um, it's another test of our maturity. You've got to respond from a bad performance, and you get an opposition that's a little bit vulnerable. They're they're not flying. They've got, as we said, probably half their side out of form, which can easily change. They're obviously a professional outfit, but it's it's a gettable opportunity if we can um, if we can certainly uh come with the uh with the right attitude and don't sort of get put on the back foot like we did last week. But selection wise is the other one. So um I sense that Marsh, with all due respect, probably goes out, whether they go with a battle again, whether they try to strengthen their midfield grunts a bit with somebody like a Dunstan or, or even one of the held over emergencies last week like Sinclair. But what are we anticipating uh change wise? Geary obviously to to hopefully come back as well. Yeah, that switch of Marsh and Geary is probably the first up to begin with. And then from there on, I'm, I, I don't know where we're going to go. It's a, I, Does Battle need to squeeze back in somewhere? Because he's the sort of player I think can almost... We can, we can use him where we want to. We can swing a game with him where we need him. Um, if... Their back line's getting on. If their forward line's getting on top of our back line a bit, we can move him up down the back. Hmm. If we're struggling up forward, he can move up forward and give us a different option. We can just just that sort of player that can give us many different things to have a look at and go a different way in the middle of a match. Um, like last week, Plan B didn't really send a kick in at any point. 
it was like, oh, that's not working, but we're going to keep trying. So maybe that's something we need to try to start doing, looking, okay, this isn't working. What are we going to do now? Get something different. Because I mean, we do the same thing in Richmond actually are on this week. It's not going to be good. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the obvious one, as you've always said, is Geary. Geary comes back in. If, if he's right to go, Geary comes back in and Marsh out. I think the, the selection of Marsh, you know, they obviously thought bringing him in with his speed and his pace and, and stuff could, could go with Jeremy Howe as that kind of defensive, bigger defensive forward. Um, but I, I really thought, and we, we spoke about it last week on the pod, that I really thought that, that Battle was that perfect guy. Because like you said, H, he, he can play that role at, at um, centre-half forward on, on a how, but he can always swing him back and he can play as a loose man in defence. You can play him on the wing. He can he can go and muscle some guys in the middle. And you know, he's so flexible and versatile that uh, I, I really don't know you know what what the selectors need to see from him to, to get him back in the in the team um like i said last week he's kind of in my, my top five or six must pick every week based on last year obviously and, and maybe there's stuff that's happened you know off season and pre-season during this this um away from footy period that that making maybe is a little bit harder to select at the moment but you know for, for mine he's got to come in uh another one that i think we we really miss is jimmy webster um yeah, I, I really like yeah, he, he performed really well. He's hard at it. I think sometimes we forget that he, he, he does hit the ball really hard, but he is a bit of that left footer, you know, he uh, he, he kind of looks like he floats around the back and, and he's quick and he's pacey. We forget how hard he can be at the ball. Um, but Nick Caulfield is one that I think I, I, I really rate Nick Caulfield as, as a footballer and someone who I think can, can have a really big future in, in footy, but... He's not quite doing it at the moment, and Jibby Webster coming in from for, for Caulfield would be the next the next one that that I'd make. Yeah, I mean, the other one. Look, Brad Hill worked hard last week, but the in big games like this against big opposition, where you're trying to make a statement. In the last two years, we've recruited two high-profile recruits from other clubs, Dan Hanbury and Brad Hill. I think we would want those two players to be amongst our best four or five in these types of matchups. They weren't last week, so I would hope that. Uh, we get that type of performance from Dan Hanbury on the inside and Brad Hill on the outside against a team like Richmond if we are going to knock them off. We need those leaders to come in and uh, and hopefully help deliver the goods and, and deliver, uh, I guess, on the promise, so to speak, and, and, and they'll be pivotal to our chances of, uh, of winning this game. So I'm hoping that we can get, um, I guess, maximum output from, from those two guys. From, well, from, a Richmond, from a Richmond perspective... You know, one of the things they've held the hat on over the last couple of years has been their forward pressure. And we've seen guys like Sydney Stack come in and Marlon Pickett in the grand final. And they've, they've got a whole host of, of guys that play those kind of half forward flank, forward pocket roles and, and really lock the ball in. And it's one of the reasons that we were able to get Dan Butler so cheap. Um, and, you know, watching them the last couple of weeks, what they wouldn't give to, to have yeah. Dan Butler in their, in their forward line at the moment, because he's been a revelation for us, um, doing exactly what he did at Richmond in, in that, uh, 2017 premiership year. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think they would love to have him back this week, but uh, luckily he's on our side. Yeah, I was about to actually say, Butler is the player that could come out and go, hey, I'm here now. It's the sort of player that you're missing at the moment. And, yeah, maybe a third best on ground in a row would be good. So, yeah, um, yeah get him. I don't know. He, he, he could really... He's the sort of player that could break open the game for us up forward. It's we've sort of haven't had that forward since Millie's left. It's nice to see someone up there really crumbing, really hitting back hard, running off the backman. Yeah, nice kick at goal. It's just nice to see him have a big game this week against them. We're playing the AFL's benchmark clearly. Two of the last three premierships, best side over the last three years, but they are gettable. They certainly are gettable and. I was big before the Collingwood-Richmond double that if we were going to make a serious statement this year, we had to win one of these two games, and I still believe that's the case. So, um, yeah, it's, it's effectively now for, for us to, to make that statement before we play Carlton next week, which won't be easy either. They've just beaten Geelong at Kidinia Park. So um, no easy games in, in this competition, but um, I feel personally that we have to find a way to, uh, to claw ourselves over the line in, in this game. And, Get ourselves to two and two, back on an even keel. It's an uncertain fixture, but uh, but fingers crossed we can do it. I guess a, a final thought from from each of you. 
it's probably going to see one team get back into form. That's that's for sure. So just hopefully it's our goes our way. On the one hand, there's probably no better time to play Richmond than uh, than when they're in the middle of a, a form slump. But on the other hand, they're Richmond and and potentially they can come back and that that can bite us on the on the butt pretty quickly. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see first of all which which St Kilda side turns up. And, and secondly, which Richmond side turns up. And like you said, H1 team will be played back into form. Well, good luck, guys, or wherever we happen to be watching it. So as we said, we know the next two weeks, Carlton and, uh, and Geelong, and we'll see what happens before that. But it looks like we've avoided at least a trip to Perth in the initial run of hub matches because if Collingwood's going and Geelong's going, we can't because we will have played both of them uh, prior to heading over. But that doesn't mean we won't end up there at some point in time. But I guess that swings in roundabouts, given the way it's gone. But Fingers crossed and go Saints. And as a reminder, of course, for, uh, for Maddie's vision uh, this week. So if you get the chance to support, jump on board and do so. This has been Unplugged and a reminder that if you are a carnivore that lives in Melbourne and hasn't been to marbled meat, you are missing out. That's the type of feedback marbled meats receives from their customers. That review is currently on Google Reviews. So go on, get onto Google, type in marbled meats East Bentley, and you can see it all for yourself. Whether it's a porterhouse or pork belly, poultry, or even pet treats you're after, marbled meats has you covered with all of that and more. Head into store at 291 Chesterfield Road, Bentley East. You can order online as well with our promo code PLUGGER, which will get you 10% off your order and free delivery on any order over 80 bucks to a ton of locations around Melbourne and the Mornington Peninsula. So stock up your meat supply, marbledmeats.com.au, promo code PLUGGER for 10% off and free delivery. Bringing that classic butcher back to the suburbs of East Bentley, it's Marbled Meats. 